Well, good morning, church family. Y'all doing well today? Yeah? Electricity? Mostly? All right, good. For those of you that don't, I knew I smelled something. But anyway, I'm glad you're here today. Hey, as you can see, I'm holding a uh, Operation Christmas Child box. It's that time of year. We partner with uh, Samaritan's Purse. If you're familiar with that ministry, uh, the, the great thing about partnering with them is we're not just handing a gift to a child at Christmas and then walking away. Samaritan's Purse is their year-round ministry. You see my lovely assistants today walking up and down walking boxes. There they are. And <laughs> they, uh, op- Operation Christmas Child folks ministers year-round uh, in these nations, in these places. And when they have these boxes to give... It opens doors of ministry. It, op- it opens hearts, uh, people's heart to their ministry. So you're not just giving a gift to a child at Christmas. You're actually making a ministry possible for people that are there year-round. And we kind of upgraded as a church this year. Normally we give a, you know, a cardboard shoebox that we put our gifts in. But, but we've, bought, uh, or we've, we've got these for you. You don't pay anything. But um, they're, they're plastic like Tupperware. And if you've been to Nicaragua or Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, you know this in itself is a gift uh, to a child. A little something to hold all their treasures in uh, is about as valuable as as what is inside. So we have, are you ready for this? 1,100 of these. Yeah, yeah, you're clapping. I'm saying... Who, who ordered these things? I, 1,100 seems like a lot, but uh, between our two campuses, we're hoping you'll get these. So here's what you do. You go out there today, you get one. Inside is all the instructions. You're looking at about 15 to $20 is what you would spend in the gifts, and it'll give instruction on what to give, what not to give. It's important to follow the not to give uh, instructions, but you follow all that in there, and then also... Uh, beyond the cost of giving, if you choose, you can help the ministry by, by paying for the shipping, and that's about $9. But what they give you the opportunity to do, I, I know for sure you can go online. You may be able to write it out also. But you will be able to track your box, your gift, all the way to the hands of the child uh, that it goes into. And so you'll be able to see that, which obviously makes this a, a, a good bit more personal. These do go to, to other countries, other nations uh, around the world, mostly third world countries, uh, obviously, in that case. And so great opportunity. I want to encourage you as, a, as an individual, as a family, get one, two, three boxes and, uh, gosh, make it a family project and, and, and then watch it get to that child. So follow them out. Y'all, the, the boxes need to live. Yeah, there we go. Follow them out. Not right now, but you see where the boxes are heading. And uh, they're they're out there today. Go go pick those up. And uh, it's going to be a great Christmas project. They're also, you'll bring them back here. You don't ship them. Uh, You you bring them back to us and and all all that information will be given to you. So uh, today I want to start with Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. These are, uh, this verse, these two verses are very special in the Bible, maybe like in the top three, four verses in the whole of Scripture. And what makes these so special is it's kind of the beginning of everything. Now, Genesis 1 through 11 kind of answers those foundational questions. Where did we come from? Why is this place in a mess? And it it answers some of those. But after you get past that, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, really kind of kicks off the story 
that, that brings us to where you and I are sitting here worshiping the Lord today. Let's look at this verse. Look up here. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And, and do you know what Abram did? He went. He just straight up believed God, and he, and he went. Now, you're thinking, well, that's what people of faith do. We trust the Lord. Abram didn't know God. Abram had no knowledge of God. He had no understanding of the voice of God. This is the first interaction he has with God. He hears and he packs up his stuff and goes. It's just, I mean, it's crazy. And that story will be told throughout the Old Testament. It'll be told throughout the New Testament. It's going to become the foundation for the Jewish faith and people. It becomes the foundation for for Christianity teaching we are saved by faith. We're saved by trusting, by believing. And so it kicks off all that. And, and so they go, you know, Abram hears that voice and listens to God and goes home. They start packing up all the stuff and they leave, except they take somebody with them. They take Lot. Now, I won't do this today, but one might scratch their head. And if you wanted to have kind of a neat theological conversation, you might, you might wonder, was Abram being completely obedient there? Because God said, leave your kindred, leave your father's house. That would be meant to understand, leave extended family. Not your wife, not your kids, but your extended family. Leave them and go to this other land. And yet he takes Lot. Now we don't really know. Nowhere in the scripture does it ever suggest or explain why Abram took Lot. Now, you know how uncles and nephews work. What would be the reasons he might be doing that? One, he may have been raising Lot. Maybe Lot was like a son to him. Maybe they just had a very close relationship and, and he wanted Lot along, wanted Lot to, to be with him. Lot wanted to go. Maybe, I mean, Abram's 75. He might have just wanted somebody a little younger and stronger on the, you know, I'm heading to some place I've never, never been. I, you know, I don't know what all that's going to, and he, and he takes Lot like that. Maybe, and I kind of, if you're asking me an opinion, and that's all it is, is an opinion, this is what I lean toward. I, I, I think perhaps, and I bet some of these conversations have happened in this very room. I think Abram's brother came to him and said, could you take Lot with you? We can't do anything with him. <laughs> I'm serious. We, we've got to get him away from his friends. We've, we've got to get him out of here. We, just, just, just take him. And you know, I mean, we're family. That's what we do, right? Well, okay, here we go. And, and, and so he takes them. And, and you know, like I said, Lot is about 75. We don't know the exact age, or I don't know the exact age of, of, of Lot, or Abram 75. Lot probably, I mean, you do the math on an uncle, and a, probably 20 to 45. But I know that the next time we read about Lot in the story, which is very soon, he clearly is an adult because now there's a conflict. There's a conflict with Abram and Lot. There's a conflict between their households. Both of them are very wealthy. And Lot's wealth, guess where it came from? Uncle Abe. I mean, Lot's opportunity in life, Lot's stuff in life. I mean, it, I'm not saying he didn't do anything on his own, but it was, it was Abraham that got him rolling there. And, and they've got, they're very wealthy. And in that day and age, wealth meant animals. You, you had lots of herds. And so the scripture makes point that the land they were living couldn't support both of them. So Abram comes to uh, Lot with a really kind of 
kind and very generous. Let, let, me, let me read to you the offer. Let, let, let me read to you how Abram, uh, and, and by the way, Abram and Sarai are going to be renamed Abraham and Sarah uh, here pretty soon. But let, let me read to you uh, Abram's suggestion of how they solve this conflict. Verse 8 of Genesis 13. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of land you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. That's pretty generous, isn't it? You choose and I'll I'll just take what's left over. Lot took a long look. I think he's going, you're kidding me, right? I mean, like I, I make the choice. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Now, when you read that, you know, if you don't have the advantage of a, of a Bible atlas, a map... If you're not familiar with the geography of where they're standing, you really miss out on what just happened. Now, what Lot chose was well described for us, right? I I want the fertile plains. I'm going to take the water. I mean, mean, you got to feed animals, right? There's grass. There's water. I want that. You, You know what Abram was left with? It's called a desert. I mean, it's like, wow, you really just don't care at all about... Now, I mean, I don't know that Lot did anything wrong. I mean, Uncle Abe gave a choice, right? You might wonder, Abram, why'd you get... It just seems to me with all that Abraham has done for Lot, Lot might have looked at this and said, okay, how how can we both win here? How how do we both get what we need here? But he takes what's good for him and leaves leaves Abraham the desert. And and he goes down and he settles in a place called Sodom. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more in a second. But it... It's a bad place. Beautiful city. Bad, bad place. Now, the next time we're going to hear about Lot, which again is pretty soon uh, in the story, he's living in Sodom. But as he moved there, well, he kind of found himself in the in the middle of a, of a battle, a, a political war going on. There's a group of kings on this side, group of kings on this side, and they're kind of going at it back and forth. It comes to a to actually war, physical conflict. And uh, the place where uh, Lot was living was aligned with the kings that lost. And so the kings that won kind of come in and kind of did what you did in that day when you won, you take everything. You know, this is all ours now. And taking everything meant that Lot, his family, his herds, all of his stuff was just scooped up and taken by, the, by these victorious armies. So guess who comes to the rescue? Abraham. Y'all have any knowledge? Ever seen one of these relationships where somebody's always taking and somebody's always giving? Somebody's always bailing somebody out? I mean, that, that's what we've got here. Again, I, I, don't, 
I, I don't want to say here's the bad and the wrong thing Lot was doing. No, I don't, I don't know that he was doing anything wrong at the moment other than he just made an ongoing cho- choice to be in places he shouldn't be, to be with people he shouldn't be. And guess what? When those are your choices, sooner or later, you need bailing out. And so you kind of you review what is going on in their relationship. And I mean, most of Lot's opportunity in life comes from Abraham. And you don't see a lot of gratitude. Uh, even opportunities and choices. And you see, you, you'll see Lot take advantage uh, of his uncle. And, and then you see his uncle. And honestly, I call him uncle. My guess is Abram loved him like a son. My, my guess is, because who do we put up with that kind of garbage with? You know, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's only so long we're going to, so I'm guessing he loves him like a son. And now here he is again. Can you imagine the news? Oh, gosh, let's go get him. You know, Got to go do this again. And so he goes and gets him, rescues him, and uh, gets all his stuff back. And Lot goes right back to Sodom, right back to living there. And now... Now we fast forward several decades. May just be a page or two in the Bible, but it's several decades later now, and and Lot is still living in Sodom, and uh, God is going to destroy Sodom. You know, every, every now and then, I mean, God's patient, isn't He? He's patient. He gives us a free will, and giving us a free will means letting us run. In that free will, wherever it takes us. And, you know, a, a lot of times, why does that happen? Because God lets us choose. But every now and then, God says, you know what? It's time to check it right here. It, it's time to stop that right here. There's got to be some consequences every now and then. And so that's what God decides with, with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes to Abram and, and he tells him, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. going to rain down fire, a little bit unique. I don't do this all the time. But, like, when I'm done... Everything will be destroyed. Every living, breathing thing in and around Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be gone. And Abram immediately begins to plead with God. Now, when I say plead, you can substitute the word prayer. You can substitute the word intercession. They all mean the exact same thing. Now, why would Abraham, why would he be pleading for Sodom? Listen to how this this goes. And by the way, if you ever think, oh, I think when I pray it must be annoying to God. Or I don't know how to pray well. Or what if I say the wrong thing in prayer? You're about to be really, really encouraged. Because you could not hear a more wrong and annoying prayer than what you're about to hear with Abraham. This thing is just unbelievable. Okay? So God has just said, getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what Abram says. Chapter 18, Genesis 18, beginning in verse 22. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. I mean, if I'm God, I'm going, duh, you think so? I mean, really? Are you, you know what? Folks, listen, let me tell you something. What Abraham is doing right here represents all of us. 
Isn't it interesting that you and I can look at a situation in the world, look at a situation in our own lives, and challenge and question the fairness of God, the morality of God, the justice of God, because we know. Because we're such a standard of justice and righteousness and fairness that, God, could you come in here for a moment? We need to work this out. You know, I'm going to challenge God. You know, I wonder where all the wrong comes from. Go home, take a good look in the mirror. Okay, and then you'll know what God is working with. But, you know, God's just listened to him. Surely, God, you're not going to do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? God responds, and the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous... Now, I love the phrase, if I find 50 righteous people. As if God doesn't already know. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Abraham, for reminding me that I might want to go see if any righteous people are there. Never thought about that. Hey, could some, one of you angels go do a poll in Sodom, see if we got any, like God's going to need to go count this out. Okay, I'm just, ah. let's read on. Oh, by the way, it's just gotten started. Abraham's just getting warmed up. Verse 27, then Abraham spoke again. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't finish saying what the Lord said. And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Verse 27, then Abraham spoke again, since I have begun, (laughs) that's your warning, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there's only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will, Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five And the Lord said, I I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord. Now, if 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 I again, if I'm God and he just says that, I'm going to say we we passed that intersection about three lights ago. I'm, I'm angry. I'm like totally ready to zap you with lightning right now. But, but he keeps going. Don't be angry, Lord, Abram pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 people are found that are righteous. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak again, if I'm God. And aren't we all glad by now that I'm not God? Because I could say, you know, you know Abraham, I can count backwards too. You know, I can see where we're going here. Could you get to your point? But uh, no, what Abram says, since I've dared to speak, let me continue. Suppose there's only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Now, why is Abraham doing this? You think, that you, think, you think this is about numbers for Abraham? You think this is an interesting theology? Oh, gosh, Lord, now that you throw that out there, let's, I'd like to grab a cup of coffee and just discuss biblically how this works out. You know, how many righteous people does it take to tilt you toward non-judgmental? I mean, how, how many does it... You, do you think this is just kind of an interesting discussion? Is this about numbers? No, he has somebody in mind, doesn't he? You know how many people are in Lot's family? Four. Why does he start at 50? Why does he stop at 10? There's four that he knows. There's four that he's concerned about. To be honest with you, I kind of wonder if Abraham is assuming that Lot is not righteous. 
I, I, Lord, I don't know what you'll find when you get to that city. I don't know that you would rescue it for Lot and his home. But, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe, I, I, like, would you, would you not do this if there was 50 righteous? I mean, surely out of the whole city, there's got to be 50. And God says, yes, okay, well, let me, let me push it here. Again, he's not playing a numbers game with God. He's not trying to be funny. He's, I mean, if there was only 10, would that save Lot and his family? He is pleading. Man, hey, hey, he's given, he's given Lot every opportunity he has. He's been taken advantage of by Lot. He, he has gone and bailed out Lot. And yet here he is again, pleading before God for Lot's well-being, for, for, for Lot's care. You know, if you want to read more, I'm not going to go into the depth of the story. If you, Sodom and Gomorrah is a name that's heard outside of Scripture, a story somewhat well-known outside of the Bible. Want to read more about that? Genesis 18 and 19 is where you can read that whole story there. But as, as God said, he came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to destroy this place. And, and the reason he's going to destroy it is because it is it's just grossly immoral. What, what you have in Sodom is a place where they, they worship their gut. Whatever I feel, whatever I desire, that's my God. Whatever I want at this moment, right here, right now, that is truth. That is my God. And by the way, you have to respect and worship my God. That's how they were living. Everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And so God is going to judge that city, but he sends two angels. Now, when I say angels, don't minus the wings and the halo. Leave that out right now. I guess you would say they were disguised. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Angels in disguise. They look like us. They look like people. When they walk through town, nobody recognized them as anything different than, than a couple of guys walking through town. And these angels go to the door of Lot's home. Why? Because God was, God was listening. God was listening to Abraham's pleading. He, he's still going to destroy the city, but he's going to rescue Lot. Because Lot had prayed for it? No. Because Lot had deserved it? No. He was listening to Abraham and he sent the two angels there to knock on the door to tell the angels going to tell him what's going to happen and get him out of town. And Lot's family didn't want to leave. I mean, folks, it actually had to get to a place of crisis. It had to get to a place of panic where the angels are literally dragging them out of the city. You know, the Lord, I'd leave you here to get burned, but the Lord told us to come get you out. And and they're dragging them. And do you know that Lot's wife, her heart was so tied to Sodom, she turned back and died. The, the daughters, I mean, and this isn't in the midst of the judgment. It's like the next day. It's all a part of the story. The next day after the judgment, it, 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 mom's dead. So it's Lot and his two daughters, and they're grieving. I mean, mom, mom's dead. Our house is gone. All of our friends are gone. And, and for some reason, this becomes the, the, the point of concern for them. They, they look at their dad, Lot, and he's, he's got no male heir. He's got no son. That, that becomes the thing that they're worried about. So they come up with a, a really good idea of how to solve the problem. Let's get dad plastered. Knee walking drunk. And then I'll go in and sleep with him tonight. And maybe get pregnant. And then tomorrow we'll get him plastered again. 
which tells you something about maybe what was already going on in that home. And then you go in and you sleep with them and you see if you can get pregnant. And you say, is he saying this out loud in church? Yeah, it's an awkward story, isn't it? It's very much a story. You read that in scripture and go, why? Why would that gross? Why is this in here? That's a very profound moment that we need to see. When you live in an environment of evil and wrong, you reach a place where evil and wrong becomes the norm. Evil and wrong becomes the normal way of thinking, the normal way of seeing life, the normal way of seeing answers to life's problems. As a matter of fact, when you reach that place, questioning the evil and the wrong sounds like hate. It begins to sound like what is wrong. That, that's, that's where Lot is. Again, I, I don't see the scripture specifically pointing, let me tell you how bad Lot is. Let me point out a specific sin. But it just tells this story where you seem to find this, this ingratitude, this lack of respect. He chose to, to place a family in the midst of an environment that, that would produce this kind of thinking. Led Abraham to to pleading for Lot. I want to take you just a a step back into the story. Genesis 19, verse 27. We know what is going on. We know what has happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about the angels in town and how they carried Lot and his family out and what happened. We know that. Abraham does not know that. Okay, God's prayer and conversation with Abraham was the night before. So Abraham does not know what has happened as we, as we read this. Genesis 19 verse 27. Abraham got up early that morning and he hurried out to the place where he stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And he watched as columns of smoke rose from the smitties, cities like smoke from a furnace. What do you think Lot was, Abraham was feeling at that moment? He, 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 he looks out and, I mean, he knows what God told him yesterday he was going to do. He knows what he was pleading with God about. And now he, now he looks down there and he, and he sees all. I mean, he has to assume in this moment that Lot's dead. There, there was no conversation about getting the family out and then, and then bring the judgment. It was just that the judgment is, he has to assume that he's dead. I, I can't help but think he's just standing there thinking, gosh, Lord, I, I, I know you're righteous and you're just, and I, you probably had it coming, but I, I you know, I just thought maybe, I've, you know, I've prayed, you know, I really pleaded with you. And he stands there for that moment. Look at verse 29. I actually put the next verse up here on the screen. God, God remembered Abraham. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrown. I, I find that to be one of the most hope-filled phrases in all of Scripture. 
God remembered Abraham and he rescued Lot. Did Lot deserve to be rescued? No. Did Lot even ask to be rescued? No. But God rescued him. Why? Because he remembered Lot. He remembered Abraham. God remembers. And do you know why God remembers? Because God cares. God cares about Abraham. And because he cares about Abraham, he cares about what Abraham cares for. He didn't look at the whole number game as annoying, as irritating. He he didn't respond with, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't know what I know and how bad this situation is. God doesn't say anything like that. He sees somebody he loves caring, somebody he loves pleading, and God cares about what he's pleading for. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind as, as I read that actually is something that has, it has nothing to do with this story except the idea behind the story. And, and that is, folks, there's somebody, his name's not Abraham, there's somebody that cares about you. There is somebody that pleads before the Father for you. There is somebody that intercedes for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I wonder how many people in this room right now have ever had the thought, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody cares what I'm going through. Nobody loves me. Nobody sees me. Folks, those thoughts are demonic. Please hear me say that in love. Those thoughts are are demonic. The origin of that thought that nobody knows, nobody cares, comes from Satan, whose heart and will is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants you fixated on how alone you are. He wants you fixated on nobody cares, but it's a lie. Because the truth of Scripture tells me that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father pleading for me every single day. I don't know how he does that. I don't know what that looks like. That this morning before you got to church, Jesus had mentioned the name of every name in this room before his Father. Praying exactly for what we need. Pleading for us. Oh, folks, may we never again, that moment that thought hits, we call it what it is. We call it from the enemy. And we know what he purpose is. And we pray, God, help me focus on the truth. Jesus is praying for me. How, do, how does that thought not impact my mood every day for the rest of my life? How is it that so many of us in here already knew that verse and hadn't thought once about it in the last week, in the last month, in the last six months? What a greater thing to know. Somebody's praying for me. And boy, that somebody has the Father's ear. Amen? Now, I I, I tell you, as I take the truth of Romans 8.34, and I kind of glue it together with the story of Genesis 19, here's a thought I know is in heaven. God remembers His Son, Jesus, and He rescues me. I'd like to think I'm like Jesus and I'm, I'm growing to be like Jesus, but I know there's a lot of places, a lot of times I look a lot like Lot. I'm not even asking to be rescued. I'm not even asking to be fixed. I'm not even asking to be helped, but Jesus is asking for me. I'm, I, I can be selfish. 
I can, I can take and take and take. I, I can be in places I should not be. And that's not just a geography statement, right? I, I can be in places I don't belong. I can be in places where the influence is wrong. I can be in places that breaks the heart of people who love me. And you know, honestly, God would be, he, he'd be just if he just let the fire fall. What could I say? What could anybody say? He'd be absolutely just and right to let the fire fall of judgment on my life. But he remembers his son and he rescues me. And now we take that thought of what God is doing in in all of our lives. And boy, how ready we should be to stand there and plead for somebody else, right? And I would imagine in this room right now are, are people, you don't need to be challenged to be ready. You're already there. You're just broken. That's, that's your bigger problem. It's, it's not that you're not ready. It's not that you're willing. It's that it's, you're broken. You, you've run out of hope. You've run out of words. And you, you, you've wept. You, you've, bailed, you've bailed them out. You personally have done the exact same thing Abraham did. You, you have prayed until you no longer even know. You think, I don't, maybe I'm using the wrong words. Maybe I don't know. I don't even know how to say this anymore. You have pleaded before God. Maybe right now as you look out in that child, that mate, that ex-mate, that, that, that friend, as you look out in their lives, maybe right now it looks like the smoke of judgment is rising. It, it looks like already there will not be an answer to this prayer. There is nothing that can be done. My friend, keep praying. God remembers. God remembers your prayers. He remembers your tears. He remembers your pleading. And rescue can still be at hand. God remembers you. Oh, You know, folks, as I... As I see this, as I, as, I, as I look at what's happening here, there, it seems to me there are two things that you and I have to leave here with. We don't have the right to not remember this. We don't have the right to not think about this every single day. It is mandatory, number one, that I thank Jesus Christ for what he's done for me. Not just 2,000 years ago on a cross, what he's doing for me right now. Now, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you stand at the right hand of the Father and you call my name. You plead for my need, my rescue in whatever's going on in my life right there at that moment. May I never be the same. May may that affect my mood. Amen. And, And then to have hope. You know what, we're not, we're not all there. I, I would imagine a lot of us are. As a matter of fact, some of you probably feel very alone in that. Nobody, nobody knows who you're pleading for and how long you've been doing that. But boy, you're pleading. Man, draw hope today that God remembers. And even when smoke is rising, even look, when it looks like judgment has already fallen, don't quit. You know, th- this is... Uh, this is not a counseling session. I, you know, I understand. I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the difficult, hard relationships in our life, right? The, the ones that just take us to the very end uh, uh, of ourselves and, and break us. 
And there, there's, you know, you need wisdom. There's a lot of ways to interact in those different relationships. And you know what? This is not a message about tough love. And sometimes in our relationships, there needs to be tough love. There needs to be those consequences. We need to draw lines. There needs to be a no more. There, there's a lot of different things that need to happen in these difficult relationships. And the message today is not about those different things. The message today is about intercession. Don't quit. Don't quit. God remembers your pleading. And it may be all that person has that is between them and eternal judgment. Let's pray. Tell tell the Lord right now what it means to you that Jesus stands at the throne and pleads with your name on his lips. Just in your own words, in your own prayer, just tell the Lord what that means to you. Maybe the first word isn't gratitude. Maybe the first word is confession. Lord, I'm sorry that this has meant so little to me. I'm sorry that I think so rarely on this. I, I knew this. I've, I've heard this before, and it, it really doesn't even affect me at all. Maybe, maybe, our, maybe our first word is confession, and I'm sorry. Gratitude, maybe it's a prayer to keep that thought front and center day in and day out. Tell the Lord what it means to you. Boys, you come here today in the Lord's house, in the Lord's presence. Take take this moment right here, right now, to plead one more time for that person. Oh, isn't it good news? You don't have to worry about being annoying, saying the same thing over and over again, it not being the right words. Just plead for them. You know, I'd imagine there's some in our lives, maybe that we don't have a relationship like that right now. There, there, there's no person in our life that we love and care about that's in a desperate place, a desperate situation. But maybe we need to ask the Lord, open, open my eyes, Lord, to the, to the people around me, people I love that I need to be pleading for. They're not going to ask for it. They're not going to pray for it. They're not going to look to you. Who do I need to be pleading for? God, I thank you for the promise that you hear our prayers. I thank you for the promise that you will remember every name that was just called out, every face that came into our mind. And you will work and you will act. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.